And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to a special edition of the Warriors Plus Minus Warriors All-82 podcast, really draft podcast we're calling it. I called on our expert, Sam Vecini, way out in Australia. Um, thank you for coming on, number one. Number two, I, personally, I've watched like an absurd amount of tape this week because I'm playing catch-up, <laughs> right? That's what that's what yeah. people uh, do. You, I'm sure, have been watching tape all, all year. Do you, I mean, like, are you watching tape now? Are you still trying to learn tendencies of these prospects? Or do you pretty much know everything at this point? You're just like gathering into like, what's this month like for you? So, yeah, it's definitely hit or miss. I would say that I do watch a lot of tape because I am running through the final evaluations for the draft guide right now that will come out uh, sometime like two, two and a half weeks before the NBA draft. So, you know, right around July 10th is what we're hoping for. I don't know if it'll be that day. Don't quote me on any of that. Having said that, part of that process does involve running back through tape really diving deep on these dudes and really making sure that for instance, with Texas, right? So someone like Kai Jones, I'm sure we're going to talk about Kai, Texas had a lot of different players in the front court this year. They had Kai Jones, they had Greg Brown, they had Jericho Sims and throughout the year because Kai had burst onto the scene so quickly. And because Greg Brown was this, high level, you know, top 10 recruit, five-star prospect. Everyone expected him to be a one and done. I kind of expected, I guess that I expected those guys to be better than Jericho Sims. But then you, you go back and you watch the tape and you understand that Jericho Sims is actually their most effective big man this year. And he has a game that translates to the NBA. So you go back, you watch, you know, I think, three or four weeks ago, I went back. So after Texas season had ended and all that stuff, we're talking in May at this point, I went back and I watched probably seven or eight Texas games, six, seven. I don't remember the exact number, plus a ton of clips on Sims specifically where I didn't watch anyone else, but Sims in the way that he would interact with his teammates on the court and just tried to gather like, okay, why is this guy not a prospect? And what I came to find was, yeah, I have him like at 50 on my board now because I was just missing the forest for the trees in many respects, right? Uh, not paying attention to the guy that was actually good uh, as opposed to the guys that we think might be good at some point. So there's definitely some tape that we're watching this time of year, but I, I mean, I'll be honest from from I would say late April through now and through July 29th, 28th, whenever the NBA draft is, dates are all wonky here in Australia. Uh, 28th for us, I, 29th for you, I believe. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, they, a lot of my mornings are spent on the phone. Uh, I would say I'm on the phone from, you know, Typically, I'm up by seven o'clock. You caught me a little bit sleeping in today because my wife and I just moved in uh, to our new house here. So we've been pretty wiped this week. But from basically 7 a.m. until 12 p.m., typically, I'm on the phone for a pretty substantial amount of that time. Okay, so let's dive into the Warriors. Obviously, this is a Warriors-specific podcast, and they're really a swing team in the draft. I, I'm sure if you were kind of like ranking the teams that, that whose situations interest you most, I'm sure they're yeah. you know top three, top five, really. Um, and not only, obviously, from a trade perspective, which I, we don't need to dive into that. They're, they, phone lines are open. You know, I think everyone's kind of yeah. reported that, but that's clear. Um, I think they're a little less desperate to trade these picks that, than maybe the league thinks 
they are um, because, yeah. you know, I'm not sure the market. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it materializes. But for, for this podcast, I want to go uh, to it under the assumption they're using seven, they're using 14. Um, and that's such a range. Uh, it's interesting because like if you just had seven, you might be looking at like 10 to 12 guys. But if you have seven and 14, I mean, you're looking at, you know, even up to Scotty Barnes, Kaminga, who I want to talk about in a second, like what if one of those two falls all the way up to guys on your board that are probably 20, 21, 22. So it's a, it's a really wide range, obviously. Yep. Um, let's kind of start up top. I mean, we, I think it's guaranteed Cunningham's gone. Mobley's gone. Green's gone. Um, Suggs, yep. no zero way he falls to seven, right? Yes, is what I would say. Uh, I would s- maybe two percent, very um, low, very exceptionally low. Um, I, I've higher just heard percent enough. Than they had to win the lottery, though. You know, two <laughs> percent, right? So, like, yeah. what, what I would say is, you know, I've heard some rumblings that Toronto, at the very least, is going to look at Scotty Barnes, which could drop one of those top four out of the top four. And then at number five, Orlando's, you know, a bit of a wild card. They like length athleticism, which to me says guys like Scotty Barnes and Jonathan Kaminga. I think they'd be, am I allowed to like curse on this podcast? Yes, yes, please. Athletic, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I think Orlando would be fucking crazy if they passed on Jalen Suggs, if he fell to five. Um, So look, from a logical perspective, no, I don't think Jalen Suggs should fall to seven. But like, is there a world where Orlando is like fully in asset accumulation mode goes, Hey, we like Scotty Barnes. We like Kaminga. You know, we feel really good about someone like, you know, Davion Mitchell or or someone like that at seven. Let's slide back. Let's do five for seven and 14 or something like that. Like, you know, there there are a lot of different permutations. Like if, if I was Golden State, I would be doing some level of due diligence on Suggs, Green, and Mobley. I wouldn't waste a lot of my time with it, though. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you where their path to a guy like Suggs is is those teams in that range aren't in love with him enough that they'll say, give us 14 and we'll jump to seven. More than like right. everyone passes on him and then you just sit there at seven and get him. Um, the other right. two, I kind of wrote about it this week, but if, let's assume those four that we mentioned are gone and, and – um, you know, Sam Presti's sitting there at six. I covered Sam tight to the vest, as you know, not necessarily yep. stuck to the consensus at times. I mean, even back yep. to the Westbrook pick. I mean, that was kind of uh, considered a stretch. I think there's a possibility maybe he does something while Sangoon. I mean, Book Knight stock is obviously rising. Like, like, it's not out of the question that one of those two or somebody else that we're not even talking about jumps up. That then that would bump maybe Barnes and I think you know, for outside looking in, looks like Kaminga maybe would be the most likely of those top six to, to, to stumble all the way to seven. And I think if Kaminga's sitting there at seven, that is such a tough decision for the Warriors because uh, yep. high, high ceiling, biggest, uh, you know, you know pro- project, I would say, uh, among those where, uh, you know, you have him and Wiseman on the team. You might just want to send them to Santa Cruz and be like, play 35 minutes and, and yeah. pick and rolls, yeah. all that. But at the same time, then you're talking about two roster spots on massive projects with massive upside. To me, that's just become such a big tug of war if Kuming is there. Um, I guess I would just ask. Well, and, you know, you, you bring up two massive projects with massive upside, but guys that'd be playing in Santa Cruz. I mean, with how their luxury tax bill, you know, could play out this year, depending on the moves that they make around this roster. I mean, that could be $20 million sitting yeah. in Santa Cruz. And that's not something that I times four is necessarily interested in. (laughs) Man, but they they would have a great team down there. Um, (laughs) No. So, I mean, well, what are your thoughts on? uh, I'll ask you Barnes and Kaminga because I think either of those two theoretically could fall to seven. Um, I think Barnes would be a no brainer. I mean, just watching what he can do defensively. I know, like, there is kind of the it's the same conversation you would have with like Ben Simmons and Draymond on the court together. It's like they kind of do the same things. They're super versatile. They would just, your defense, you might have the number one defense in the league, but they're playing hot potato while like four guys are over there guarding Steph, essentially. Um, Yeah. Would you draft Barnes? No question if he's sitting there at seven. And would you draft Kaminga? No question if he's sitting there at seven. I mean, look, I, I don't really see a circumstance where both of them are on the board. Like if one of them is yeah. still there, it's 
in all likelihood because the other one is gone in all likelihood. Right. Yeah. So yes, I would draft one of those two. They've been five and six on my board for, you know, months upon months now. Um, I, I've been an enormous Scotty Barnes fan the entire season. I've been an enormous Scotty Barnes fan since he was at university school playing with Vernon Carey, let alone when he went to Montverde and played with Cade and, you know, Moses Moody and Dayron Sharp and all those guys. Uh, the thing that I think NBA evaluators love about Scotty Barnes is that he's just like, just a, such a high character kid, uh, elite level work ethic, just an awesome like energy giving player to be around on the court and plus like you said just an incredible defender uh you know a guy that can legitimately switch one through five although i think he would struggle a little bit more with ones early in his career than what some other people would lead you to believe and the reason for that is because he plays very stiff and upright uh he is a very explosive athlete that doesn't always access that athleticism within games. Like there are times where he'll use that like enormous, like condor seven foot three, you know, seven, three and a half wingspan, whatever it is and get like deflections and then go to bend down and like pick up the ball. And he'll look like me or you bending down to pick up a ball just in terms of like his lack of flexibility through his hips. And I think that you see that self, you see that bear itself out also on the offensive end. Because, yeah, there's been a lot of talk about how he's a point guard and, you know, he can create plays. And he does have that mind and that unselfishness and that vision to make high-level passes. He is an excellent, excellent passer. The problem is that he has no threat of scoring right now. Like, any NBA, you know, defensive player from... Six foot five, 200 pounds up to seven foot, as long as you have some level of lateral quickness, is going to be able to stop him in terms of shutting down his offense. And as we know, whenever you can't get your own bucket in the NBA, you basically just have to play hot potato with the ball. You have to move it as quickly as possible, and then you end up playing four on five on offense. Uh, so while I am a little bit more bullish long term on Scotty Barnes, I think some of the comments i've seen from people discussing how much upside he has on offense how uh he can be a six foot nine point guard i just don't think that bears itself out on tape at all and i don't think it's really ever borne itself out on tape yeah no and and uh, you know the shooting what he barely takes three yeah he can't shoot like yeah. right now he cannot shoot and that that's why i have kaminga higher than him at this point i understand there are like some concerns with kaminga just in terms of his approach uh he takes a very casual approach on defense um you know i've been told from some people who've been in the gym with him that uh you know sometimes the approach isn't always there with him uh there are times where he, he'll come in and just blow the doors off the place work his ass off and look unbelievable and then there are times where he will you know just kind of float around and do his own thing while, when he's working out so you look at the upside he has as a shot creator though i think it just drastically exceeds anything that we've seen at any level from scotty barnes at the end of the day uh, yeah. And that's just such a higher level upside play. Yeah, in a in a an environment last season that that was more easily translatable. I mean, regardless of uh, you know his bubble struggles efficiency wise. I mean, he's Kuminga's yeah. under forty percent shooting. He's, I think he was like twenty something from three on like a decently high volume. So, um, but then uh, you know I rewatched the it was the first bubble game. It was uh, Santa Cruz against. Uh, the ignite, you know, Jordan Poole's on the floor, Nico Mannion. I mean, this is like kind of pretty yeah. good studying for somebody who covers the Warriors. Um, basically, totally. people he'd face in training camp. And Kuminga was probably the, I mean, he looked like the best prospect on the floor. He might not have been, the, I think Jarrett Jack was actually the best player in the game. Yeah. But, you know, Kuminga <laughs> was like, uh, he, he he went right through Poole a couple of times for a layup. He came over weak side, swatted Poole. Uh, Axel Tupon, who actually got a contract with the Bucks, he had like a really good bubble. Yep. He, he, he bodied him up for a layup. I mean, it was like G League version of like Paul George looking stuff. And I believe coming out of that game, because that was the first time we'd all seen the Ignite. 
I think that yeah. day I can remember people being like, could he overtake Cade Cunningham? Obviously, what has happened since he's tumbled down. Um, but yeah, you see uh, the potential. Yeah, it's funny. Like I, I um I had a sports book reach out to me and say, like, look, if you were doing odds on you know who you would say is most likely to be the number one pick, like how would you set the odds? Right. And I said something like Cade has to be like way lower. He's just the overwhelming favorite. And this this was back in back in December before the G League bubble, right? I said that I thought Kaminga at that point was the second most likely guy to pass Cade. Now that didn't bear itself out on the court. He showed a total lack of commitment to defense. He uh, just made 25% of his threes. Like I think he's a little bit better of a shooter than that. He's not a consistent shooter yet, but I think like the 25% number or whatever is not as bad. It looks better than the results. For sure. Yeah, like mechanically, it's not broken. Like I, I think that it's gonna be able to work itself out as long as he continues to show some level of touch, which is there. I think it's there to be honest. Um, but in his case, it just didn't bear itself out like that. He he wasn't quite as good as Jalen Green. Jalen Green got better throughout the course of the G League bubble. You could see the way that the game slowed down for him. You could see the way that he learned from game one to game, you know, 14, and then to the playoff game that he played where he had like 35 points. You could see the way that he was able to operate with more patience, with more poise on the court. And to me, that's a lot more, that says a lot about the way a guy is going to adjust to the way that NBA defenses are going to play you, right? Uh, That's a lot more translatable tape given the fact that we need uh at the next level guys who are going to keep getting better like none of these guys who are 18 19 years old it's why the warriors are obviously looking to move this pick if they can get anything resembling commensurate value for it it's just hard for 19 year olds to come in and contribute to a title contender because they aren't good enough yet so that's why you need guys who are going to improve and continue on that upward trajectory so let's let's run now. Let's say it's the most likely scenario. The top six that are currently projected are the top six that go. The Warriors are sitting there at seven, and it's really kind of where the draft opens up, right? I mean, like we could, yeah. There's probably nine different guys that theoretically could go at seven. You currently on your latest mock have James Booknight, who um, kind of appears to be the the biggest riser right now um, in in the draft world scoring guard out of UConn. Um, it, I guess I'll just start like, oh, why do you have him currently at seven? So, yeah, it, it's interesting because everyone is talking about him as a riser. Uh, I've had him in the top 10 for a while. Uh, and in large part, that's not just because of what I see on tape, it, it, although it is like a large portion of that. But NBA teams that you talk to have been really high on James Booknight this whole way. Like this is not a new like phenomenon for NBA teams. Uh, He's a terrific scoring guard off the bounce. Like I think he's going to be a three level scorer, but more than anything, like the guys who succeed at the end, the guys who succeed at the NBA level are the guys that, can string together four or five counters off the bounce as scoring guards, right? Like you need to be able to go between the legs into an inside out dribble into a right to left crossover, you know, into a Euro step finish. Right. And I think that he's one of the few guys that can actually string together multiple counter moves in a row to where he's going to be an effective isolation scorer when he gets put on an Island in the NBA. On top of that, the reason that I like him particularly for Golden State is that he really puts high-level pressure on the rim. Uh, That is something that I think Golden State missed quite a bit this year. I'm assuming it's something that they're not necessarily going to get back when Klay Thompson starts taking up 30 minutes a game, Uh, you know, 
25 minutes a game. Yeah, that that issue is why Jordan Poole popped so much late in the season where it was like, right. it's, not like it's not like Jordan Poole is like absolutely explosive to the rim, but he gets there. He's, you know, kind of he, he, he has a little book night to his game, to be honest. Um, and a little bit, he, yeah, yeah. When he got back from the bubble and like had that confidence level going and, and, and found himself late in the season, it was like, wow, this is a dimension the Warriors didn't have. What's interesting is does his emergence make them less interested in, in like a scoring type guard. And to me, the biggest need yeah. on the roster is at the wing. I mean, you would, but what you're saying is right where it's like w- more than maybe positional need. It's like style of player need and, and, and scoring boost. It doesn't always have to just be, you know, Corey Kispert spreading the floor. It, it, it can be sure. guys going downhill. You know, obviously the, 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 to me, book night makes a lot of sense from, you're at seven. You just want the guy who three years from now will be the best guy who is available to you at seven. He becomes right. a 22 point per game score. Um, but I think he's the type of guy who's going to come in and like to, to grow is going to need a bunch of shots. will be inefficient early on. Right. I mean, he's 31% from three in college assist yeah. to turnover ratio is not good. I think 92 turnover, 63 assists in college. Um, That's the big one for yeah. me. Yeah. Like, I, I think the shooting is going to be fine. I think the turnovers and the passing stuff is something that would, if he went to Golden State, would particularly bother Kerr early on. Yeah, especially because Steve Kerr ha- is now committing to Jordan Poole for, for 25 to 30 minutes next season. Right. And without Clay to start the season, maybe more than that. Like, I wouldn't be stunned if Jordan Poole starting uh, opening night. Um, but, you know, in general, uh, like, you know, ceiling wise and, and where this seems to be going with book night. Like I, I think he's definitely, you know, in the mix. Um, and I would say almost the opposite of that is the guy I'll move to next, but he's the one, you know, that's other people seem to, to be mocking. And I know it, it Davion Mitchell is um, sure. They're having conversations about him. He's definitely, he like book night is definitely in the mix. A lot of these guys are mm-hmm. um, Mitchell is the yeah, guy for, for what it's worth. Th- those are the two guys like in this, tier of guys so remove scotty barnes remove kaminga um those two guys are the names i've heard most for golden state as well as i would say josh giddy is another one that comes up quite a bit um but i think that's more speculative yeah um i think that you know when we talk about organizational tug of war and we talk about the priority for next season compared to the priority for a bridge to the future um mitchell's mitchell's the next season pick um, yeah. you, you know, you don't love that he measured six one at the combine, but at the same time, you watch him guarding Cade Cunningham during the season. And I mean, he, I, I don't know where you're at on him, but I do think he's going to be able to guard. I think his defense will hold up in the league. Um, yeah. I think right away, I think you could play him next to Steph in certain lineups and, and feel okay, especially if you got Wiggins out there, Draymond. You know, you have uh, people behind him. He's going to be tenacious on the ball. I mean, I don't know. I'll ask you if you believe in the three-point shot. He went from 29% at Auburn as a freshman, does the transfer, yeah. and then goes 32. Then this past season, it's near 45% from three. Uh, 165 assists last season, only 73 turnovers. Um, he, more than I think any of these guys, would help the Warriors rotation next season. But at the same time, do you draft the seventh pick with only the idea of who will help the rotation that best next season? Probably not. Yeah, I don't think you do that, but I also think that people are underestimating the upside of Davion Mitchell just due to his age. Uh, This is a guy that any person you have ever spoken with around the Baylor program, anyone that has ever worked out with him, anyone that's ever trained um, with him, just discusses at length how this guy is not just a good worker, but is one of the best workers they've ever been around point blank period and has just this unbelievable competitive mindset about getting better and about helping his team win. And those are the guys that kind of exceed, you know, whatever the typical growth curve is for, you know, based off of age. Right. Um, you know, everyone expects these 19 year olds to keep getting better. Well, if you're not going to work at it. You're not going to get better. Right. Uh, in a case like Davion Mitchell, like Davion's going to keep working until he's 30. And it wouldn't surprise me if we keep seeing him take these drastic improvements guys, you know, in the league, like Jordan Poole, for instance, like guys in the league are not who they are when they enter the league at 21, they get better at 22 and 23 and 24. 
And in the case of Davion, Davion's entering the league at an exceedingly high level. He is an excellent, excellent point of attack defender. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about the physical nature of how he defends a little bit at his size. Uh, Definitely a guy that I think fans are going to be in for a bit of an awakening because, you know, people hate Marcus Smart because of like the flopping shit. Uh, he takes so many Mitchell takes so many on ball charges. I've don't oh, think I've yeah. ever seen a player take as many, just like guarding a guy straight in isolation situation. And he's taking a charge. Just take the, puts the chest out and flies backwards. Like it's a, it's a skill at this point. Um, I believe in the shot off of the catch or off of a one dribble relocation. Uh, I think that those are the two places where he succeeded most. Like if you look at the off the bounce numbers on synergy or something like that, they're ridiculous. Like I think he's like in the 90th percentile, but a lot of those shots come off of relocations where a guy closes out super heavy and he has to just like take a one pound dribble to his right and then just set and shoot again. Or they're coming around ball screens where someone just went way under on him and he gets a ton of time to set into the shot. Right. Having said that, like NBA teams are going to have to go. I mean, there aren't a lot of bigs that are going to be able to deal with him in a drop because of how fast he is. Like he is going to turn the corner on bigs. He is very, very fast. And he really only needs like one counter. Like right now, his goal is he wants to get downhill as fast as he can. And he is fast as hell once he does it. Well, it's burst. If he develops that one move. Yeah, if he develops that one move, it's going to be hard to stay stay in front. Yeah, it's that burst athleticism where it isn't just like, hey, if you just got them out on a track and said, you know, run a mile, who you right. know, he's faster. It's like he's just at zero miles an hour and he's at you know nine sixty. Like yeah, yeah, whatever. yeah. Um, and 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 that that translate. That's why I mean, if if people haven't watched him much, and if you're doubting what he'll be defensively, like turn on some of the defensive tape. I mean, it is like you know, like linebackers that can just go side to side yep. on on a field. Like he just kind of has that lateral quickness where. Um, you know, watch him guard Cade Cunningham in games. We're talking about a six foot eight, you know, yeah. wing who he would theoretically be matched on it at points yeah. in his NBA career. And, you know, he stays with him. He's got quick hands. Um, I do think the charge is that, you know, as much as it will annoy fans, I do think that's such a good yeah. tool for an under, you know, a Beverly type defender, oh, Kyle huge. Lowry. Yeah. I mean, it's what, it's what, I mean, like the ceiling, like if you are drafting him at seven, you're going like Kyle Lowry. Like that's what you just want him to become. Um, you worry. That's the name I've said a lot of. Is Kyle yeah. Lowry. And if you're a big time doubter, you're like, it's Javon Carter, essentially, you know, like a, a great big 12, like veteran defender that gets to the league. The offense isn't there. He can be kind of a pest defensively, but he's just doesn't have upside. Um, I mean, to me that, you know, we talk about how much Steph Curry and Draymond Green are involved in conversations this summer. And, and I think, you know, their preference would be just, probably more veteran but if you were pitching a draft pick to them a draft pick that can step right in i can imagine like davion mitchell meet draymond green you know tonight he's going to play in the closing lineup how do you like him as your point of attack defender okay you know yeah we might not have got the veteran we liked but you know i like the way he's harassing the ball handler right now yeah i I think dre would be fine with that i think that steph and dre are like hey can we get damian lillard like that'd be great can we can we that as well that as well do all this that'd be fine you know we've got we got 714 and wiseman can we do that (laughs) no doubt but yeah just as we're talking about um you know picks at seven like to me that's the one that i I, that i i think would probably help most next season but i'm not sure i I agree i agree with you i'm right okay let's talk wing because like as i said those two that um I think me and you both believe right now from from talking to people behind the scenes are, are most in the mix, and there's a lot of time for that to change. The Warriors, I know, are planning yeah. to have a bunch of workouts either at the facility or to go travel out in, in like the mid-July range. And and as you know, a lot of stuff shifts um, in that range. But right now, those two, but they're guards. And I do think, you know, all things being considered, if the Warriors could just pick a prospect position, wing is where I think they need the most help. So you know, I have like six different wings down here, uh, names, but you know, what's, you know, what the other names that could be up at seven, um, who's the wing that you think if the Warriors went wing makes the most sense at seven. So look like Josh Giddy played point guard this year, at in Adelaide, but he's six foot eight and 
I don't think he's athletic enough to play point at the NBA level. I think he's going to be more of like a, you know, people get mad when I say this because they think Giddy is more of a point guard, but I, I do think there's a lot of Joe Ingles, you know, type of super high level feel six foot eight makes the right decision constantly. When I talk to people around the league, there's been a thought, let's say, and this doesn't come from anyone that is like, oh yeah, like the Warriors really like Giddy. It's phrased more as like, I bet you the Warriors really like Giddy. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, uh, it's not like them being like, oh yeah, like Bob this, Myers they're, they're called me yesterday to tell me he just watched some Josh Giddy tape. Right. It, it's more just like a, you know what? Like he fits all of the traits that they look for. Uh, super high level in terms of processing the game. Uh, very high basketball IQ, makes decisions very quickly, very high level ball, ball movement passer, um, six foot eight, so has positional size to play the one through the three, J- just kind of does a lot of different things that they look for. I have watched some on him, but like to be honest, I haven't dove into him yeah. enough. Um, wh- where in his pro, where in his growth do you think he is? Like, do you think he? year one comes in and, and could play 14 bench minutes and help, or is he like, Hey, he could be really good in three seasons, but you're gonna have to wait. It depends on how he translates in terms of dealing with the physicality of the NBA early. Um, didn't have any problems with that this year in the NBL as an 18 year old. Like this is a kid that was, he's probably six foot seven, 170 pounds, like 18 months ago. And he's now like six foot eight, you know, probably, probably pretty close to 200 now. So he's put on a lot of weight and a lot of strength over that time. Because again, like another kid that you talk to people around, you know, Australia basketball, Adelaide, everything, um, you know, really high level character kid, exceptional worker, uh, all of those traits just like in flying colors. So he's been able to really put on weight as quickly as he's needed to, but you know, and he, he's not going to shy away from it. I mean, like he's, you know, typical Australian kid that is not afraid of that shit. So it's, it's more, he is still skinny and it's going to take time in terms of just the physical adjustment, given that he's not like a crazy athlete. Um, having said that, like his feel for the game is just so high. Like if you, if you just needed him to take up a spot on the court and to make high level decisions for others on the court. I think there's a reasonable chance he could be okay at that as long as the shot translates early. And I know that that's like the number one thing that he's working on kind of in the gym right now. So let's say the Warriors just decide they need shooting. Um, They need to prioritize shooting. And like, to be honest, that's probably more of a question at 14. And we'll get down to like Duarte and Kispert. If they just, if they say project at seven rotation player at 14. Um, But what about, I'm just going to name four wings here. Moses Moody, who that was kind of who I was going to with the shooting. Uh, Keon Johnson, who's pure athleticism. Zaire Williams, who's a pretty local product, or at least, you know, out of Stanford um, that, you know, we talk about project with upside. Um, and then Jalen Johnson, who you had very low, I thought, on, on, on your board. Um, I do. He's such a – he's like I feel like he's got a, such a fluctuating range. Um, yeah. Who of those four do you think makes the most sense? Probably Moody. Um, yeah. it, it doesn't hurt that Moody is the highest – guy among those guys for me on my board Mm -hmm. just because you know the combination of three-point shooting he shot 39 percent on high volume this season uh you know just a very good shooter at the end of the day and i don't doubt that he's gonna shoot at the nba level how about defend um he seems like he's he's versatile but I don't know when I watch him, I'm like, I see it. I do see like the three and D traits, but also like, I don't know. He kind of moves slower than I would like. Oh yeah. Slow twitch athlete for sure. And that that's, I think why the, the people who do things publicly like me, I think do tend to be a little bit higher on Moses than what the league is. Um, because I, 
in general, the league does tend to be a little bit higher on physical traits. And frankly, I, I do too. Um, I do think physical traits matter to an exceptional degree in the NBA, but uh, someone like Moody is a guy that definitely a slower twitch athlete doesn't have a great first step, but I think, you know, isn't like a crazy vertical athlete either. I think he has good lateral quickness when sliding his feet defensively. And he really gives a shit on that end. Like he is strong. He has good feet. He has a seven foot one wingspan. I think he's going to be pretty switchable in the NBA as well. Uh, definitely doesn't have as much star power as like a James book night or frankly, like if a Zaire Williams hits like Zaire Williams is going to be awesome in the NBA. Uh, it's just whether or not he can put on 25 pounds and add the contact contact balance that he needs to not fall over seven times a game. Right. Like I, I'm skeptical of that. Just given the frame, I think it's pretty slight and skinny. Another but, Santa Cruz star next season. If you guys are. Yeah. Like Zyra Williams would no question be in Santa Cruz next year. You can't play him on an NBA court next year. I don't think. Um, and I feel that way about Jalen Johnson. I feel that way about frankly, Keon, jo Keon Johnson might work his way in because he's such a high level defender and Steve Kerr would be like, you know what? We'll, we'll play four on five on offense just to get his defense on the court for 15 minutes a night. Um, and Keon has some ball skills and can dribble and stuff like that, but really can't shoot at all right now. Um, Jalen Johnson, I don't think can shoot. Uh, Zaire Williams, to be determined. sort of, can shoot. <laughs> um, much more comfortable off of the pull-up than off of a catch-and-shoot right now. Um, you know, likes to self-create and get to that step back. He's one of the few guys in this draft class that can step back both to his right and to his left. He can hit that, like, sidestep to his right or that, you know, ball pickup, step back, you know, knock down the shot to his left. Uh, Moody is just going to catch and shoot and have no worries translating from day one in the NBA, I don't think. Yeah, um, I think, you know, we talk about Davion Mitchell being like the safe guard picket center at seven. I think Moody's kind of like the safe wing picket seven where, you know, six yeah. seasons from now, he's pro of those four, I he's probably not the best NBA player, but I think yep. we know he won't be the, you know, he's not going to be the one that flames out of the league. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's like the He's like Sadiq Bay last year. Very yeah. similar. Yeah. So it what's interesting about the Warriors having seven and 14 is you look at this just massive group of guys and you're like, feel that guy feels like a stretch at seven, but he fe it feels like a steal at 14. Right. It almost feels like every yeah. guy's like, man, if he, if that guy's available to them at 14, if Davion Mitchell falls to 14, boom, you know, but yeah. at seven, I don't know. And, uh, you know, I, I keep going down the list. So as we kind of move towards guys who I think might make even more sense to them at 14, I, I do want to mention though the bigs, uh, you know, Kai Jones, who, who you were talking about earlier when we mentioned Texas yep. and, and Sangoon, who's, you know, uh, he's MVP of the Turkish league, which, you know, I know everybody says is kind of like the second best European league. Um, yep. That to me only makes sense if Wiseman's moved. But what's weird yeah. is if Wiseman's moved, the pick to take that guy might also be moved with him. So um, I don't see them taking a big unless there's a complete roster rearrangement. But if they do, um, who do you like? Do you think those guys fit? Yeah. And I think that it's important to try and like look out on the marketplace and see like what's out there, right? Like what player is actually worth? James Wiseman at this point for Golden State like that that that's kind of what I'm struggling with with all of the trade stuff right and I think that that's kind of what you alluded to earlier saying like they're not like desperate to get off of this pick right they're they do it if they found the right move and what I'm struggling with is finding the right move right like Miles Turner is the guy that makes like the most sense in the world to me but I mean Miles Turner if they're moving Miles Turner, they're moving him because they want to build around Demonis Sabonis at center. They're not going to like, you know, be like, hey, let's let's go take James Wiseman and have the same problem that we've had now for three years where Turner and Sabonis are combined together. Right. Um, you know, you, looking on the perimeter and on the wings like. I, I just don't see, I don't see who the guy is that's available right now. So I, I'm kind of going in, assuming that 
unless something crazy happens I, I th- here. I think they're going to end up picking at seven and 14. I really do. And then I think, yeah, I think that this veteran help that they've continued to talk about. I think that comes mid-level. I think that comes minimums. I think, I mean, you watch the playoffs right now and Reggie Jackson and Nicholas Batum uh, just were major factors in the Clippers going yep. deep and, and, and they got to hit there. You know, I, I could see them making another chase at Batum. They thought they were close at Batum and that's, I think going to end up being disappointing to, to the uh, Warriors fan base. Um, but I don't see them, you know, Siakam is a name that obviously in league circles has been talked about. John Hollinger put it out the other day, but if the price for Siakam is, I mean, Wiggins contract, which at this point still, I think is considered negative value. Um, Wiggins is still positive value to the Warriors on the court. So the upgrade of, of Wiggins to Siakam, is that enough to give up? Wiseman, who you picked second overall like eight months ago, the seventh pick, 14th pick also. Like I, Toronto probably would want to haul for it. And like I just know that the Warriors aren't going to just give up the massive haul. Now, if they, it, you know, we'll see. Um, yeah. But the, I, you know, I, I love John. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that he, he heard that. Like, I'm like that. I guarantee, like, I haven't heard the Siakam stuff, but like, I guarantee you that like John's not just putting that out there, you know? Um, that that didn't I just don't know where like I just don't know why Toronto would do that at the end of the day unless they're getting just like such a ridiculous steal that they're not that it's not sensible for anyone, right? Well the weird thing with Siakam is, you know, it didn't have a good season last season. Uh has a torn labrum, I believe, that he's you know, not gonna be back till November yeah. on. And, you know, there was some weird stuff with him and Nick Nurse last season. He got suspended a game for, like, you know, something with Nick yeah. Nurse. So, I mean, you wonder, I, I don't have all the, the the internal data, you know, necessary information on what's going on there. But, you know, I think that's maybe why his name is being floated out there. Toronto has this kind of reboot that they're maybe looking at this summer with them having the fourth pick. And um, I do think a lot of just the Warriors chatter, understandably, is just looking at their situation where – assets that that teams in their situation don't usually have which is the second overall pick that just went in the draft 714 while also right. you know being mildly publicly pressured by you know Draymond and Steph um on a closing right. window so i do think that there's a league almost circling around going like we can make them like there might be a chance to make them just make a desperate overpay right and that's what i just don't i i, I could see them making a move but i just don't see them making an overpay Right, but like, so like, who are the popular names right now? Like CJ McCollum. I, I don't know that you're gonna pair CJ with Clay and Steph. Like, I it would be good. Like, I, like they'd be incredible offensively. But I don't know that you move Wiggins for CJ because I, I like, frankly, like Andrew was really good last year and really good in the ways that the Warriors need. To where I wonder if he would be more effective just straight up for Golden State next year than CJ. Yeah, and that sounds like uh, you know blasphemous to say, but it's like they need a three that guards big wings. Um, and, right, and and they don't, you know, do they need some of the stuff that CJ McCollum does? Sure, but their hope is like Jordan Poole does, like a poor man's version of that. You know, he emerges right. into that type of player, and because they know Jordan Poole is not going to suddenly go, all right, final upsize and be the guy that guards LeBron in a play-in game, essentially like, right. like Andrew Wiggins did, and um. Yeah. Yeah. And and like, then there's like Ben Simmons. Right. And, you know, maybe there's like a three team deal out there. That's the thing. That's the, that's the one thing I could see making a move happen is some type of three team deal. Cause you know, a lot of, you know, you're talking about McCollum. Well, if Portland's trading McCollum because they're trying to win now with Lillard, they're not doing it for the seventh pick and Wiseman because they're not winning next season with that. Uh, You know, Philadelphia is not trading Ben Simmons straight up to the Warriors for that package because then they're bringing in Joel Embiid's backup and a rookie to win next season. Right. No, that doesn't make sense. So yes, three, it would almost have to be three teamy, but um, I just, I'm just not seeing a month out from the draft. We'll see front offices are creative. Gerald Morey certainly is creative. I just, I'm not seeing, you know, trade fits. Right. No. And I, I I'm totally with that. Like if you're, if you're Portland too, and you're moving, cause what we just mentioned the two most likely names it's CJ and it's Ben Simmons, right? Like those are the names that everyone, you know, in the league is talking about, you know, if you're those two teams, why wouldn't you just do a deal together as opposed to involving golden state? Like Ben Simmons would be an incredible outlet valve for 
Damian Lillard when he gets blitzed on these ball screens all the time. Right. So like, I, I, it's hard for me right now, given the, given the way that the league is laid out, it's hard for me right now to see who the guy is. I I will say like, I'm assuming that Atlanta is just going to max John Collins. Um, but John Collins is a free agent. Like maybe, maybe that could be something where you feel like you can play Wiseman, Draymond and Collins together. Something weird like that. Like if you wanted to do like seven and a future first for like Collins to get Atlanta, not to match the deal. Like I, I don't, this is uh, just like thing me that's throwing shit over, at the wall though. Yeah. The, and the other thing that's looming over it, it's like Joe Lacob is, is pretty transparently messaging out there. He's just, he's not going to go berserk with the tax money. You know, they're already, right. they just paid a record. They're on pace to continue to pay a record. Like they're not just going to try to like maneuver away where it's like, you know, they add another massive chunk salary and go, whatever, you know, they're paying $200 million tax bill to the league. It seems to me that unless a home run situation or, 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 or a can't miss opportunity presents itself, their yep. preference is is have three guys on rookie deals moving forward. Hope to grow them. Hope Clay comes back healthy, and um, and, and that just seems, we'll see. That seems like the most likely scenario. I want to get back to draft prospects with you, though. Yeah, but I, but that gets that gets to bigs, right? Like it seems difficult to trade James Wiseman, so it seems difficult to draft a big in this year's draft, basically. Yeah. I name I didn't mention and I should have. I actually had him in our original mock after draft night when they got the seventh pick. Franz Wagner, uh, yeah, he, you know, I he, he's got a brother in the league who's kind of like a stiffer center that shoots it a bit, and it's <laughs> kind of been a disappointing prospect. That's not who yeah. he is, though. You know, he's you like his upsides defensively. It seems like you know, switchable, gets out on yep. guards, moves laterally, um, and can you know the the shot is reasonable i i do think that's the swing for him in the league you know is he can he be near 40 percent on spot ups or is he you know near 30 and then to me that very much changes who he becomes um what do you think about him he again he seems like a stretch at seven seems like a steal at 14 yeah he's a guy that took me a little bit of time to come around on i would say um in large part because of the offensive game. Like he is a ball mover who processes the game very quickly and can fit within what golden state wants to do for sure. But also streaky shooter and not like a super high level ball handler that you're going to be like, Hey, let's run secondary ball screens, you know, side pick and rolls for right now either. Um, the thing that is important with, remembering with Franz is that he is I believe three or two months younger than Jalen Suggs um like freshman age very very young kid came over to Michigan early so definitely still developing in terms of what his skill set is and still developing in terms of you know where he is as a player but you hit the nail on the head defensively he's very good you know makes every single read uh you know makes aggressive and uh high level off ball rotations to get deflections you know he's an awesome weak side defender and then on top of it like he's pretty good at dealing with guys on the ball like michigan would throw him against some guards on the ball and it was pretty impressive seeing him slide with them so like I, I like him i can see that golden state would really like him as well like if he fell to 14 i I, I do think he's the kind of guy that makes a lot of sense for them, but I don't know that it's like the sexiest pick in the world at either. Seven like two, that's just yeah. Feels like like the name that I've talked about a lot is Robert Covington with him. Like I, I think that there are a lot of similar traits in terms of streaky shooter, uh, very high level weak side defender good on the ball, but not great on the ball uh, to where like, you're going to feel comfortable with him against the fastest ones in the NBA. Um, yeah. Like honestly, like Robert Covington's probably worth a lottery pick. So yeah, like take him at 14, but seven, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so as we talk about the 14th pick, I do think 
if they end up using both these picks, it 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 makes sense to um if if you're if you're pairing one project or whatever you want like a raw prospect that you think has a big upside it makes sense to use the other on somebody you do think can help now and obviously you know the the better theoretical use would be go for the home run at seven and the safer pick at 14 that's it, it and to me that's why i do see a guy like if Corey kispert's there at 14 you know yeah. you you he he's not he'll probably get you know, railroaded in the playoffs by, you know, if he's in the West finals next season and uh, he's on yeah. the court for 15 minutes, the opposing coach is going to go like pick and roll, get him on a switch, you know, go at him, LeBron, yeah. go at him, Kawhi, whoever. But at the same time, I mean, you watch his deep range, his consistent range on the move, uh, just like the, the pure uh, release on the shot um, and his off ball movement. I mean, the guys overplaying him, he's back cutting, you know, it's stuff yep. like that. And you're like, man, in the Warriors offense next season, I could see him averaging 13 bench points, uh, you know, as a rookie in Steve Kerr's yep. offense, essentially. And it's like, that's helpful as you're trying to get a good seed, as, you, as you're trying to win a first round game, you know, maybe he comes out and has four for four from three in the second quarter. Like that at 14 is interesting to me. And then I, I think you could make a similar argument with Chris Duarte. He's probably more versatile, can do a little bit more defensively, is not clearly not as good as just a pure knockdown shooter. What do you yeah. think of those two and which one would be more ready to just step right in and like help the Warriors win next season? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I'm higher on Chris Duarte than I think anyone. Like, honestly, I'm higher on him than anyone I've talked to with a team even. Um, like I, I have him at 12 on my board right now. That's probably where he's going to end up like to end the process. Uh, I, I have not talked to anyone else that has him, you know, above like 14 or so. Uh, the reason I like him is exactly what you said. Just an incredible defender who can also knock down 40% of his threes and can do so off of movement. The thing that I think will frustrate Steve Kerr a little bit is, sees passes like it's not that he doesn't have it's not that he has bad vision he doesn't have great vision but it's not like it's not awesome it's just like average i would say for a combo guard he's a really off target passer right now that can kind of lead to like record scratchy moments within the flow of the offense um th that's his like one main weakness that i think will frustrate uh what kerr would want and the reason that like if there's a single reason that he would, you know, struggle to get off the bench, like I, I would think it could be that, but I, I do see him as an impact player from day one in the NBA, uh, starting quality long term, Re yeah, really like, good player. Like if Chris Duarte at age 24, you think older than Brandon Ingram, uh, I saw somebody yeah. say, um, if he steps into free agency this summer. I mean, like a team might just be like, mm, here's here's eight million a year. Come be a come be a rotation wing because we think you yeah. can come do that with with not necessarily the upside to, to become a max type guy. But at fourteen, that's okay. You know, if you if yeah. you use the fourteenth pick technically on a on a rotation wing, well, you know, you could argue the Warriors would have if they could trade the fourteenth pick for a rotation wing that they would. So um, I, I, yeah. I didn't want to ask you though because you know in your in your initial mock draft. Um, you know, you have book night going at seven and that to me is like higher upside offensive player that maybe yeah. you go with like a more defensive type prospect at 14 and you did U Usman Garuba. Um, <laughs> what, what do you like about him? Uh, 18, you know, Real Madrid again, I haven't watched a ton, but I, I, I do know that the belief is upside upside is, is kind of switchable defense. Yeah. To me, just very clearly the best defender in the draft right now. Um, not to say that he has more upside defensively than Evan Mobley, just because Evan Mobley's tools, like if it comes together, he's going to be like defensive player of the year potentially. But, you know, Usman Garuba is pretty maxed out physically. It looks like, you know, hasn't really grown for, you know, three years now at this point, six foot eight, you know, 220, 230 pounds, seven foot two wingspan. But man, I mean, flies across the court, can switch everywhere, really good scramble defender, uh, has that innate sense that like would really connect with Draymond defensively just in terms of like knowing where to be at all times. Like J I think he's a little JTA like 
I mean, with with obviously like a little you, bit, you would want that to become more. But yeah, I, I will say this: like Garuba is the best teenager I've ever evaluated at playing the gap in the pick and roll. Um, especially given that like he's playing literal like Euro League level starter minutes, and some of those guards over there are absolute fucking geniuses, and they are you know some of the absolute smartest players you will see in terms of getting bigs thrown off in terms of what their you know reads are in pick and roll and where they're supposed to be get them caught in no man's land in that middle gap area he plays cat and mouse exceptionally well with guards and bigs in pick and roll uh to the point where it's just kind of unbelievable watching it like for a teenager um yeah staggering uh prospect uh defensively on that end for a teenager look, look like he might not get any better but um he's so good right now that he would be a plus defender in the nba like i, I genuinely believe that yeah do do you think long term he's i mean he's like kind of a four or five and 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 the offense would be my two questions with him yeah so like what does he do um n- not a bad short roll passer you know not like, you know, expert level Draymond or anything long-term, I don't think, but can do some of that. Uh, Developing as a corner three-point shooter uh, does take shots off the hop, like can, you know, at least set into them, not off of a lot of movement, but off of, you know, like he he might be like sauntering around a screen and relocating to a corner and finds a kickout pass and takes it off the hop and shoots, right? Um, like he's not flying off of ball screens and, you know, shooting like Corey Kispert is right. But the the hope is that he can be like a 37% three point shooter from the corners who can also like come up and screen and roll and short roll um, pass because he's also not like a wild vertical athlete uh, to finish like drastically above the rim and like tear down the rim. Right. Yeah. Before I get you out of here, is there anybody I haven't mentioned that you feel like is, is stealth? target potential in at 14 might rise whatever yeah i mean we haven't talked much about jalen johnson like you know very high level six foot nine seven foot wingspan great out in transition can make passing reads at a really high level um there are some evaluators who think he can be a very high level switch defender uh i'm not one of them personally just given the lack of care that he showed on that end this year at duke um i thought he was really poor on that end um and not not a guy for me you know what i mean so like it's it's hard for me to like i i can tell you what other people see but just not there for me yeah it wouldn't be a, an absolute stunner if he goes off the board in 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 the teens essentially no and- it, honestly like he could go nine and i wouldn't be blown away but you know just not seems like me. a king's pick yeah, right. Like, but by the way, like that's I think the team that wants to move their pick most right now is the Kings. So like we'll we'll see where that goes at the end of the day. Um I, I will note Trey Murphy is like someone way kind of off the board. I have him at 20. Um I, I am a big fan of Trey Murphy. Six nine, very bouncy athlete, you know, one of those guys that had a very late growth spurt. Like when he was a freshman in high school, I think going in, he was like five foot nine. And then he was like six, three up until like his junior year of high school and then bounced up to like six foot eight, basically. Uh, So retains some of that fluidity just from growing up as a guard retains some of the footwork, just having to fly off of screens and shoot. Right. Uh, from such a young age and uh, having that muscle memory of just knowing how to do it. Uh, but now it's six foot nine and, you know, can knock down threes at a 42% clip off the catch pretty easily. Plus he's got real defensive lateral quickness, like at an exceedingly high level. Um, yeah. Tr- Trey Murphy is a guy that, uh, you know, might, might end up like 15, 16 on my board and it wouldn't surprise me. All right, Sam, anything you want to plug before I get you out of here? No, um, you know, I'm just going to be, you know, plugging away on the draft guide. That'll be out at some point. Um, Yeah, you know, listen to my podcast as well. Game Theory Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Slater.
Yeah, no, no problem. Thanks for having me. And yeah, it's it's an interesting month ahead for the Warriors. Pretty pretty monumental from a roster building standpoint. So good to have you on to talk about it. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.